0: Guys, if you will, go ahead and open with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. Um, we're going to be in chapter 1 today, and if you've got a few minutes while I'm talking over some things, go ahead and turn to Psalm 22 there, too. Um, I want to encourage you, get a Bible. Grab a Bible in front of you. If you don't have it, pull it up on your device. I don't care how you get it. Get a Bible in your hands or in front of your face because there's a couple of things that I really want to point out to you today when it comes to the topic that we're hitting on. Last week, we started a sermon uh, series called The Hope in You, talking about um, the hope that resides in us. And it's an intro into Christian apologetics. And you know, I talked about how Apologetics is one of those things that sometimes I cringe at because I've seen it done wrong so many times. First P- in First Peter, we're told to be ready at all times to give a defense. That word is taking a kind of a negative vibe in this day and time because people think of it as an, an aggressive attack, aggressive counterattack, or a reason for the hope that is in you. But it tells you to do it in two ways. Y'all remember what they are? Gentleness and reverence. Apologetics should never be done as an argument. Apologetics should never be done as attack. Apologetics should never be done to make you feel more educated or above anyone else. Apologetics has one purpose and one purpose only. To help to lead people to an understanding of who God is and what he has done for us. Last week, I gave some pretty surface-level illustrations. I gave the illustration of the 80-year-old lady cutting me off on 285. And I got to tell you, I'm amazed that most of you listen because I've heard of this being used at domino games. I even got it in a text when I told somebody I couldn't be at something that I was wanting to be at. And I was like, well, I don't know how to take that. I mean, honestly, instead of doing the other salute... Let's show people a little bit of love. Talked about getting hit in the hills with the buggy and how aggressive I can be when I get hit with a buggy. We talked about telemarketers. Again, we all love telemarketers, don't we? The main purpose of me telling you these things was to make us aware of the attitudes that we have and the reactions that we have to individuals on a daily basis. We need to be equally aware of our attitudes and reactions to individuals, especially when we're talking about the things of God's words. Today, we're going to start on some real attacks, though. Some real attacks when the rubber really meets the road about who we say that we are, but today, where we get what we believe. Where we get what we believe, attacks on, our, on the evidence of what we believe, the first attack that we're going to deal with is on the Word of God, the Bible. Can we trust the Bible? Now, before you answer that, one thing that's amazing to me is everybody will say, "Yes, I absolutely can trust the Bible." But when asked for evidence why they can trust the Bible, they'll give some some reasons. That really don't make a lot of sense. One of the reasons they'll give is, well, that's the way I was raised. Well, my answer to that is, have your parents ever been wrong? Your parents ever been, Joey, you ever been wrong? Don't admit it, but, okay? Brian Mashburn, you ever been wrong? Tell me, have you ever been right? Okay. <laughs> to respond with, that's the way I was brought up actually puts a big hole in what you're trying to defend. Your parents have been wrong multiple times. I'm a parent. I will be wrong multiple times just today. But that doesn't give any validity to the argument that you're going at. Another reason, well, that's what I've always been taught in church. You know, there's other forms of religion going on right now as we speak. And they're teaching a similar or completely contradicting thing. And some people will say, What makes that any different from what we believe? And I'm going to be honest with you. These are good questions. These are good questions. But these are also questions that we need to have a proper defense for. The Word of God is being attacked more than ever before, and it's only going to get worse. People are no longer going to attack you for the faith that you have inside of you, but they are going to attack where you get the knowledge of this faith. They are going to attack where it all comes from. And today, we're going to focus on three things. We're going to focus on historical, let me make sure I'm getting this right, historical, logical, and authentic evidence that you can trust the Bible. When I think about the Bible, here's what I think about. The Bible is the ultimate authority in God for my life and living it. The Bible is the ultimate God and authority, ultimate authority in God for my life and how I live it. We have to hold to that because if we don't hold to that, we're actually shooting holes in what we believe. Believe it or not, the Bible's been attacked even before it was canonized. We're going to read today about Peter, in Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to read about Peter giving a defense for the Bible, for what they've wrote, but also for what was wrote in the prophets. And if you will, please follow along with me in Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verses 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we, all, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, no prophecy of the Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Pray with me. Father, we know we're entering difficult times. We know that there's going to come times when we're going to have to give a reason or a defense for the hope that's in us. Father, most importantly, I pray that we do it in a way that shows love, but also shows truth. Father, this morning as we dig into this scripture, as we look into why we can trust this word that we have before us today, I pray that you would just take away anything that is distracting us. Help us to focus on what you have for us through your word, but also help us to focus on the facts, Lord. The facts that we have before us through historic, through logical, and through authentic applications to this word today. Father, we love you. Now speak to us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Bible is unlike any other book, any other book out there, because the Bible consists of 66 books. The word Bible actually is Hebrew for books. That's what it means. The Bible was penned by 40 different individuals from all different walks of life. We had tax collectors. We had fishermen. We had doctors. We had all these, even kings, kings. Some kings even helped pen the Bible that we have today. We have all this coming from 40 different groups, and it was wrote over three different continents. Europe, Asia Minor, Minor, and Africa. Not only that, it was written in three different languages to start with. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was written over a span of 1,500 years. And all of it comes together to tell the story of God's redemptive love for a fallen world. It is unlike any other book that you may see on religion. This book is not about religion. This book is about a relationship. This book isn't just about do's and don'ts. This book is a guide for how we should live our life. But most importantly... This book is a love letter penned from God Himself to every individual who's sitting here today and every individual that is on this earth. This is totally different from the Quran. This is totally different from the Pearl of Great Wisdom. This is totally different from any other book that you may read or find that tells you about your creation. That tells you about your fallenness, but that also tells you about the redemption that is offered to every one of you. One of the first questions that's going to be asked, mostly, and guys, I just want you to know, I'm focusing on the three questions that I've been hit with. Over the last four years, these questions have become more prominent. What's hurt me the most is it's come from our college students. They go to a class. They sit down, and somehow the topic of the Bible gets brought up. The professor will ask them a question like, well, why do you believe what you believe? First answer they throw, what I said. Well, that's the way I was raised. Second answer, well, that's what I was taught. And they feel like they cannot back up what they believe. My heart today is to help each and every one of you not only be able to back up what you believe, but also to have confidence in the word that you have in your hand, regardless of the translation, because we're going to get into that too. So let's talk about the first thing. Is it accurate? Is it accurate? That's a good question. We see Peter telling the, whoever's listening to his letter or whoever's reading his letter that they need to know that this is coming from eyewitness account. Most of the Bible, most of the Bible, was written by eyewitnesses. Luke, one of the ones who wasn't an eyewitness, but was a follower of one of the disciples, and a follower of Christ, did a lot of investigation in Luke chapter 1. You can read about it. Did a lot of investigation into being able to give a good account Of the things that took place in the gospel. But this is a good question. Is it accurate? I mean, after all, this book's origins date back to some 3,300 years ago. That's important to know. 3,300 years, portions of this book first come from the Father to us. Unfortunately, back in those days, they didn't have clouds. They didn't have drives. They didn't have memory sticks. They didn't have Google. They didn't have Apple. They didn't have a real good way of holding on to information. Matter of fact, in those days, they wrote things, on, they wrote things in stone. They wrote things on pieces of paper called papyrus, and we'll show you some of those here in just a minute. But the problem with these pieces of paper is over time, they start to deteriorate. Now I want you to hear what I'm gonna say next. Because what I'm about to say next doesn't unvalidate this, but it is a fact that we've got to hit on. There are no original manuscripts in any of our possessions. No institute, no museum, nowhere around has original copies that were penned by the disciples or the prophets themselves. Unfortunately, history and time, air, water, got a hold of these things and they had their course on it. But that still doesn't mean that that's a reason for us to not believe this. Because honestly, there is actually more historical evidence for the Bible than any other book in our possession. First thing I want to show you is a little piece of paper called Papyrus Number One. Eric, if you will, pull that up. Papyrus Number One dates back to somewhere around 200 A.D. Why is this significant? because that is within 150 years of when it was written. Now, I know this is a bad photo, and you really can't see what it is, but if you want to see this for yourself, this little piece of paper, this little piece of papyrus, is actually located in Pennsylvania at the University of Penn State. If you want to go see it, you can actually go see this. If you want to go one step further, you can learn Greek, which is what this is wrote in, And you can translate this for yourself. When this is properly translated, what you will find is, this is Matthew chapter 1. The next is papyrus number 52. This little piece of paper, this is the front and back of it, is the oldest partial of a manuscript that we are able to have in our possession. The date on this is 120 A.D. Now I'm just talking about the New Testament here. We'll get into the Old Testament in a little bit. This is something that you can see too. Jump on a plane, plane, fly over to England, and go to one of the museums there, and you will be able to do this. Again, learn Greek, translate it for yourself, and you'll find out that what's written on this is actually John chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. Why is this important? Because this is written within about, or this paper right here, was copied within about 50 years of when it was originally written. That's closer than any other book, historical book, that we have in our possession. But a lot of people will want to argue is this all you got? No. Matter of fact, there are over 10,000 partials or full manuscripts that we have in our possession of the Old Testament alone. There are over 6,000 partials. And those of the Old Testament, guys, some of them were written within, or some of them were copied within 200 years of their original writing. That's pretty impressive for the Old Testament. For the New Testament, we have over 5,000 Greek Hebrew and Aramaic, partial manuscripts, and full manuscripts that were written, listen to this, that were written within 500 years of when they were originally penned. If you know anything about historic writing, you would know that this is a major accomplishment. All all over our academia, they study books of history. One of the books that they study of history, if you're going to go into philosophy, is Aristotle's Poetics. Aristotle's Poetics, we only have 12 copies of manuscripts that are dated within 1,000 years of when they were originally wrote. Only 12. Yet Aristotle's Poetics is used in almost every college when it comes to teaching philosophy. Another one that's out there is Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Again, this is one that's used big for history. But there are only 12 copies in the whole world that date within a thousand years of when they were originally wrote. But it's still used as one of the books in college when you're learning about history. Another book, Homer's Iliads. How many of y'all have ever had to read Homer's Iliads? Oh, man, that was horrible, wasn't it? That was brutal. Homer's Iliad is one of the only books that is used in college when it comes to English, when it comes to literature, that we have the most copies of. We have a few hundred copies of those. But the earliest one is a manuscript that was 2,100 years old after it was written. Why is it important that we have copies of manuscripts so close? Because it trumps every other book. Every other book ever written, there is more historical evidence to prove the Bible than there ever has to be for anything that's taught in any college, high school, middle school, elementary school, or wherever you, whatever you may be reading. So is it historically accurate? Yes, it is. Well, what about the Old Testament, Scotty? For many years, there was this argument over Isaiah. There was a couple people who argued when Isaiah was written. Because, you know, there's some pretty vivid pictures in Isaiah. How many of y'all ever read Isaiah 53? If you've been here, you've heard me preach on Isaiah 53. The suffering servant. An accurate portrayal. Of Christ on the cross, written some six to seven hundred years before Christ even went to the cross. But people argued, when was that really wrote? Some people thought it was wrote in there shortly after the crucifixion and they snuck it in. For years, this was the main thought. Until in 1949, some archaeologists were digging in the Jordanian desert. And they found 12 caves. And inside these caves, they found some documents that all of us have grown to know, or, or at least heard of, called the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they started translating the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were amazed at what they found. Because in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They found Kings, Samuel, Judges, and even the Psalms. They found all the major prophets and one of those major prophets being Isaiah. And in this, what did they find? They found Isaiah 53. When they dated these back, they found out that these were written somewhere between 400 and 300 B.C. Completely annihilating the argument that Isaiah 53 was snuck in there after the crucifixion. Matter of fact, every time they think that they've disproved something about the Bible, history always proves them wrong. So historically, I can promise you this, you can trust in the word that you have. So let's go to logically. Because one of the logical questions, and it is a logical question, guys, and I'm going to spend very little time on this because I get upset over this one. The question comes about, well, if it's so accurate, why are there so many translations? How many of y'all ever dealt with that? Why are there so many translations? Which translation is the proper translation to use? Which, proper, which translation, Scotty, should I use? And I can tell you as a pastor that when it comes down to what is written in these translations, and I'm going to go against a lot of other preachers on this one, whether it's the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the NASB, the NRSV, The NIV, I said NIV, the King James, the New King James, I want you to hear me on something. You can trust them. How many of you have ever read your Bible cover to cover? Really? Because I'm going to challenge you on something. Did you read the preface? Because most people don't read the preface. I never will forget when I was in sixth grade. Miss Bailey first day of class gives us a test and I thought I was going to hate this woman forever who in their right mind gives a test on the first day she hands out this test and she tells us all read the instructions finish the test and put it on my desk so everybody real quick got down started throwing out answers There's about 15 answers on this test. After about 30 minutes, everybody was finished. She looked at us without even looking at the papers and said, you all failed. You ain't even looked at my answers, woman. How can you tell me I failed? Because in the instructions... It was plainly written that you are not to fill out one answer on this test. And if you do, you will fail. (laughs) That you are to sign your name and date it at the top and place it on her desk. Instructions are something we don't do good with, are they? Women buy stuff for men to put together. We open the box. We see the instructions. We throw them out of there. The preface of a Bible is instructions. And it's something that you really need to pay attention to. Because I know when you're reading your Bible, you've noticed a couple of things about certain texts. You've probably seen some words italicized. You ever seen that? Or you may have seen some words in brackets. Y'all ever seen that? Or beside a scripture, you may see the letters M-S-S. Do you know what that means in every translation? That means that Some earlier manuscripts did not contain these verses. And we'll get hung up on it. That Bible doesn't have this verse in it. That Bible has this in brackets. That Bible has those italicized. But no Bible completely leaves them out. I know the ESV will, evident, will ever occasionally jump a scripture. But if you look down at the bottom, you'll see that scripture right there plain as day. Some manuscripts contain portions that others did not. So is this an error? No, it's not. No, it's not an error. Because most of these take place in the four gospels. And most of these, when they were being transcribed, They seen one story in Matthew and saw something, was it in Mark? So what did they do? They took the same thing that it said in Matthew and put it in Mark. So does this discredit the Bible? No, it just means there's four witnesses for what took place. If I were to go to court with four witnesses in my defense, there isn't a judge with accurate information, there isn't a judge around that could find me guilty with anything. The Gospels are a very important fact, regardless of the translation, to help us know that we have a logical argument. If you'll look at that preface at the beginning of your Bible, you're going to see that most of them, no less than 15 scholars, went back to the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts and translated it back from them. You know what that means? That means it didn't come from the King James and then go to the NIV. That means it went all the way back to the original manuscripts or the manuscripts that we have in our possession and then they repend it from there. A lot of people wanna make an argument about this and I wanna tell you something. The multiple translations shouldn't be an argument It should be affirmation for us to celebrate that there are this many translations that really don't contradict each other. Sure, a word may be changed, but in the last 40 years of my life, words have changed drastically. I was asking Miss Carolyn, when you think of the word bad, what do you think of? You think of something horrible. When I was growing up, bad meant cool. Cool. When you think of cool, what do most people think of? They think of chili. I don't. I think of that's awesome. Even in our own time, our language is changing. So with that, you know what's going to happen? There will be more translations that will come out. And that shouldn't cause us to go on a combat about which translation is right. That should cause us to celebrate that so many translations of the Bible are out there, proving each other to be accurate. And we can have logical evidence to know that the Bible that we have is accurate. But most of us want to argue over one word. Most of us want to argue over little minute things. And brothers and sisters, when we argue with each other, we don't give any validity to this. The Bible tells us that by the love that we have for each other, the world will know that we are his disciples. Don't be arguing over which translation. That's asinine. Praise God that we have so many translations. Well, God can't use that translation. Quit hindering the Holy Spirit to do what He can only do through the reading of His Word. And I don't care. I don't care if it's NAB or NASB, NIV, ESV, or any of those other translations. I've seen people change by reading His Word. Quit putting... A restraining order on the Holy Spirit and let it do what it does through the reading of its word. Faith come by hearing and hearing the what? Let's not restrain him. We have logical evidence to prove that this Bible is accurate. The one that solidifies it the most with me though, guys, is when it comes behind the inspiration of the Bible. How many of y'all have heard this? Man wrote the Bible. Anybody ever heard that? So if it was written by man, it must be wrong. Can we go back to 1 Peter or 2 Peter? And I want you to follow along with me on this. Verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all. No prophecy of the scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from who? Here's the problem with when we say that there are over 40 authors. They're not the authors of the Bible. 40 writers is how we need to say it. Matter of fact, by that scripture, I want you to write these little words. Man penned, God authored. Man just penned it down. Man pinned down the things that he saw. Peter was telling these people, we are just writing to what we have saw of you. The one illustration he uses is the Mount of Transfiguration. When they go up to the mountain, the Spirit of God descends down on him and a loud voice says, this is my servant in whom I am well pleased. They're just pinning what they saw. But you know what's even more amazing than that? There's some people who penned things that they never saw. There's some individuals in the Old Testament that penned things they never saw. Isaiah 53 is one of them. But Scotty, that's just six to seven hundred years before Christ. All right, well let's go to a thousand years before Christ. I want you to turn with me to Psalms chapter 22. Psalms chapter 22, 23, and 24 are the Messianic Psalms. All three of them were written about a thousand years before Christ even come to this earth. And I want you to read what David says here in Psalms 22. Verse 1. Everybody got a Bible? Please, please have one. Because it's not going to be on the screen. I want you to see this in whatever translation you have. Verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Y'all ever heard that before? You know what Psalms are? Psalms are songs. And during this time, everybody knew these songs. Let's see if you know the next line to this one. Amazing grace. Blessed assurance. These songs are in our head. And when we hear the first line, a lot of times we can start to repeat the rest of the song. This song, was known by all the Hebrews. They knew this. So when Christ is on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have they forsaken me? What do you think come to their mind? Psalms 22. But let's go a little bit further. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by nay, day, day. But you don't answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers entrusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they, were trus- they trusted and were not disappointed. But I and a worm. I am not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. What a lot of people don't realize is Jesus was not that popular of a person. He's not as popular as everybody thinks he was. Matter of fact, a majority of the people in Israel despised him. They hated him because he was trying to flip around their religion. Not only that, Jesus was even rejected from his own hometown of Nazareth. Pretty harsh, isn't it? He goes on to say this. They separate with their, they separate with their lips. They wag their heads saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Remember when Jesus is on the cross? What are the people saying? If you're really the son of God, tell God to come save you. Come tell God to send angels to take you from this punishment and then we'll believe. Verse 10. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is, no, there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouths at me. As raving, as raving and roaring lions, I am poured out like water, and all the bones of my body are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it is melted within inside of me. Remember when Jesus is pierced in the side? What come forth? Water. Water and blood. Hmm. verse 15 my strength is dried up like a pot pot and my tongue cleaves to my jaws right now I am so thirsty that my tongue is starting to stick to my mouth you know what I mean you ever been there that white nasty stuff starts developing in the sides give you that Tommy When Jesus was on the cross, one of the things that he cried out was what? I thirst. Hmm. For dogs have surrounded me. You need to know something. Jews call Gentiles dogs. Who surrounded the cross? The Roman centurions. Gentiles. Gentiles. Dogs have surrounded me, and bands of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Think about that, guys. They pierced my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones. Why could he count all of his bones? Because none of his bones were broken. Hmm. None of Jesus' bones were broken either. They look and they stare at me. And they divide my garments among them. And my clothes they cast lots for. All of us have read it in John. When the centurion guards are sitting there casting lots over his robe. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is this an accurate portrayal of what Jesus went through? I mean, honestly, that goes through some pretty de- detail, doesn't it? Here's the two problems with that David wrote this a thousand years before Christ had even come to this earth. How did he know this was going to happen? Because he wrote something that God inspired him to write. The second problem with this, he's writing about a form of torture that will not even exist for another 800 years. Crucifixion did not come about to 200 BC when the Roman Empire started taking reign. And it was the cruelest form form of torture and death out there because a person was spread out on a cross and he was left to hang there sometimes sometimes for days. And every time he would gasp for breath, his body would get weaker and weaker and weaker to the point of his arms being stretched out so far, pierced hands and feet to where it made it hard to breathe. If they wouldn't die soon, they would break their legs. But in Jesus' case, When they looked up at him, they had saw that, quote, in Scripture, he had already gave up his spirit. So they did not break his legs. But instead, a Roman centurion grabbed a spear, pierced him in the side, out flows blood and water. This is wrote. A thousand years before Christ come to earth. Eight hundred years before crucifixion even come into existence. So I want to ask you a question. Historically, is this accurate? It's the most accurate book in any academia. Logically, can we trust it? (laughs) There's more translations of the Bible ever today that prove each other if man will quit trying to disprove each little tiny word. Authentic? Man, how can you get more authentic than that? It's a betrayal of Christ. A thousand years before he even came. Oh, Scotty, still. It's written by man. You know what else is written by man? Medical journals. Medical journals are written by man. For years, physicians have been writing these journals so other physicians could help diagnose and treat certain ailments. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust them? Well, you must. Most of you go to the doctor, don't you? So you must trust these medical journals. They're written by men. Scientific journals. Same thing. Over many years, scientists have pinned down their findings And pass them on to other scientists. Why? To prove the evidence of what they found. Can we trust scientific journals? Some of them, yeah. Some of them, yes, we can trust. But they're penned by man. What about any book in education? These books have been passed down from years to years to years. Some of them have been repinned multiple times. Can we trust them? Most cases, yeah, we can trust them. But they were penned by man. What about educational degrees? A state or a document stating that you have met this criteria of learning this this subject, this subject, this subject, this subject. Can we trust them? Yeah. But at the same time, you need to realize this. They were penned by man. Whenever a professor gives an argument that we can't trust the Bible because it's penned by man, what they don't realize is, is they're nullifying their own degree. Their argument is empty. Their argument is void. And their argument simply disproves their own knowledge. That's why in Romans... Paul stated, professing to be wise, they become false. So can we trust the Bible? It's asinine to think that we can't trust the Bible. When there's more proof historically, when there's more evidence logically, when there are more things that show the true authenticity of what it is, than anybody can ever put out there. To disprove it. Tommy, pray with me. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, for all the people who strive for many years to bring about the Bible that we are able to have in our possession. And Father, I want to thank you for solidifying in my heart that I can trust it historically, that I can trust it logically, and that I can depend on the authenticity of what is written. Father, Paul even told Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God, given for reproof and teaching, to equip the saints to do every good work. And Father, we are thankful that we have that word. But this morning, Lord, there may be some who's doubted. There may be some within the sound of my voice, whether it's here or online, that still may have questions. Father, it is my prayer that they will do just like Second Peter said, to be do good, to pay attention to it, to search for it, so that finally one day the light will be shown and they will understand what they're reading. Father, there may be some here today who for the first time realize that Jesus is real. They may realize for the first time that he did come, that he did die for our sins, the sins that we committed to pay the debt for something that we could never pay. And there may be some for the first time who may realize that he was buried, but that he even rose again, Lord, to show his victory over death, over the grave, and over sin. And this morning, Lord, I pray if there is somebody in the sound of my voice that is struggling with that right now, that you would draw them to yourself. Father, this morning, I have confidence in your word. I have confidence in your spirit. And I'm asking you, Lord. Draw your people to yourself. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some of you may have had questions. I hope I brought some understanding. And guys, I want you to understand something. This isn't something that I just learned this weekend. This is years of correspondence classes. Me and Ricky Tanner went to a a college class together, if you can believe that. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Through different sermons, a lot of the stuff that I used today, it was from different sermons. But I've always been taught if the bullet fits your gun, shoot it. But this morning, I want you to have confidence in the word that you have, no matter the translation. You want to come talk to me about translations? I'll be glad to sit down with you. I'm not arguing. I will give you solid evidence, but I'm not arguing. But this morning, if you're struggling, if you're still struggling with being able to believe what is wrote in that word or to even believe that God loves you so much that he would give his life for you, then as they sing, as we praise together, I invite you, come.